The reading comes from Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of the king of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sambalat, the Horabite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just the gong to announce my arrival there. (laughs) Uh, It's good, isn't it? Every time we're in church together and I get to stand in front of everybody and actually see you uh, to lead or to preach, I just think, oh, thank God for that. Thank God that we are back together. Um, Yesterday, I was in the garden in the sunshine for my nan's surprise 90th birthday. First time my family have been all back together for, I mean, you know, this whole time. Um, And it was glorious sunshine, and today it's absolutely freezing. I think I got burnt yesterday, and now, now I'm just in shock that we're in the cold weather. I don't do well in the cold, so let's see how we do. Uh, as we dig into this scripture this morning. Um, There's two things today that I believe that God wants to speak to us. There are more, I know, because God speaks to you each individually as well, and you have come with uh, the things that you've come with, that's on your heart, the things that are on your heart, and God knows that, and God wants to speak to that. But there are two things that I believe as I prepared God wanted to do, and it's challenging Uh, But I think it's necessary for us to do this work, this side of um, everything that we've been through. Um, And in light of Tom's vision and the vision that God has put on Tom's heart to rebuild God's church in this place, in Camberley, for this moment and for this time. And these are the two things. 
Uh, Firstly, I think that God wants to challenge us uh, in how much time we spend communing, or if you want a more colloquial term, hanging out uh, with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How much time do you spend just hanging out, just being in God's presence? I think God wants to challenge that. And secondly, I think God wants to challenge how honest we are in that time. Because I know that sometimes uh, the very place where we should be honest is in prayer and the very place that we are not is in prayer with God. And there are many reasons for that. Sometimes we are afraid to really call it out because then we're facing into what we feel. And other times it's simply that we've got into the habit of listing prayers that we know we should pray rather than engaging in relationship with God. And so we're going to have a few moments now to pray. I know that sometimes when we turn up to church, as I say, there's a whole raft of things that we've brought with us uh, that can be an obstacle to hearing from God. And so we're going to have a moment of quiet where we pray, God, what do you want to say to me today? Or perhaps we just sit in God's presence for a moment. Let's pray. God, open our hearts. Open my heart. Tell me what it is you want to say to me today. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. And let's remember the prayer uh, that Tom had for this series, this whole season that we're in, that you would discover the call on your life and that that call would play its part in restoring and rebuilding God's church. As God called Nehemiah, God also calls you. God calls us. Um, In my house, we think that we love planning. Well, no, let me, get, let me put that in another way. We think that we love a plan, but we're not very good at planning. Um, soon, very soon, uh, as in like next week, Matt is, my husband, is running an ultramarathon on the Isle of Arran. I know. <laughs> we don't do those things together. Um, but I am, I am going to show my support uh, with Lydia and... Um, As you know, for the last 18 months, planning anything has been absolutely chaotic and there's almost been no point in planning anything. And when you do, your expectations are dashed. And when you do, uh, you lose money. And when you do, uh, you lose all sorts of things, mostly your mind, in attempting to make those plans come to pass. And so, in uh, the style that can only be described as the Love Smith style, we both talked a lot about the fact we needed to plan the Isle of Arran 
which is a very small island off the coast of Scotland, um, where there, are not, there is not much accommodation when there is a big event happening. Um, and so we talked a lot about planning it, but we didn't do much planning of it. Uh, and then it must have only been last week that we actually looked at planning it. And so we are staying in what can only be described as a hut um, that I think um, is possibly not the best accommodation to, to have when you've got an 18-month-old running around. Um, but that is how we planned it. And I don't know about you, but I think this is the aftermath for me of what the pandemic has done to our sense of stability in making any plans. We have just stopped doing it. Um, and and it, we make short, very short-term plans, like what we're doing tomorrow. Um, and even that, I don't know about you, but sometimes even that feels a little bit, what if somebody gets pinged? The pandemic is upon us. What if they get pinged and then it doesn't happen? What Almost we've got to the point where we think, what is the point of planning anything? I don't want to take the risk. But what it's done is mean that we don't get anything done, and when we do, it's a highly stressful situation. Um, it's probably just us, though. I don't... <laughs> wow, come on! <laughs> There's a, a big uh, sense of feeling about this in this room today. Do you like a plan? I want you to just chat to someone near you or have a think about, if you don't want to talk to anyone, that's okay these days. Um, Talk to someone um, about whether you love a plan or loathe a plan. Go. How long should I give them? <laughs> How long? <laughs> Not even in my notes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just, I've just been asked how long I planned for this section where you talk amongst yourselves, to which I can imagine you could guess my answer um, for that one. In the last 18 months, many of us have struggled. Um, We were reflecting yesterday on our leadership day away that many of us perhaps are simply weary. We're just weary of everything that's gone on. And I feel like every time I come to preach, I like to talk a little bit about how we're all feeling about what's gone on in the last 18 months. But that's because physically we're still in that space. We are still in that space physically, and so how can we have moved past it emotionally and spiritually as well? We can't, because we still feel the impact of what is going on, and it's not just the pandemic. Our world is broken, and it's being thrown in our faces day in, day out, and we, let's be honest, in Surrey, in Camberley, are fairly protected from so much of what is going on in the world, and yet we feel We feel it deeply and profoundly. 
We have suffered in the last 18 months in unique ways. Some of us have found it quite freeing in the last 18 months to not have to make a plan and to be in the, in the center of our family and just exploring what that means, to be close and intimate with one another again. And for others of us, that has not been fun at all. Let's be honest. And I know I have um, talked again and again about this, but I think it's so important, and I think if we rush past it, we will not allow God the space in our hearts to deal with what we have gone through. We need to deal with it. We need to face into it so that he can move. And I will get to the passage, I promise you. This is the lead-in. I'm so sorry, but this is what I planned. Uh, So (laughs) many of us have been crying out to God from new depths of vulnerability that we didn't know we could get to. From new levels of uncertainty. And if we think we should be over it, I just don't believe that we can be fully yet. But that doesn't mean that God is not with us in it. Sadly, we don't box our lives into neat little compartments where okay, it's going on out there in the world and I might catch COVID, but it's okay because uh, spiritually and emotionally it doesn't affect me because uh, that's not attached to the other. We're, we are a whole being. In, in ancient writings, the heart didn't just mean how you felt. The heart was this body ache. It, they didn't separate your mind and your heart as two different things. You thought with your heart. Your heart was your whole body, your every part of your essence responding to what was going on. So when you read the word heart in the Old Testament, that is the whole body response to what is going on in the world. Now, it is tough out there right now, and we're in a very unique position. We have a hyper-communicating world, more than even pre-pandemic. We are hyper communicating, hyper-connectivity, information pouring in at us. The terrors of the world are right on our screens, and thank God they're only on our screens, right? Because we could be those people for whom they're not on their screens. And so we mustn't forget that. The climate disaster, the racism, the sexism, the lack of compassion... The lack of grace that people seem to have for one another. I don't know about you, but when I was walking around, you know when we were only allowed half an hour of exercise? Remember that weird time? Um, when, at the beginning, everybody said hello. Everybody, and I was very pregnant, so everybody moved out of my way. <laughs> Obviously afraid or something, I don't know. Um, but now, there is a, not a lot of grace as you walk past someone on the street. And why do you think that might be? Because people are weary. Now, why am, I, why am I telling you all this? What on earth has this got to do with Nehemiah in the court of the king? Now, Nehemiah is working in the court of the king. He's still in Babylon at this point, And next week, Tom's going to talk to you about the second part of this passage where Nehemiah actually goes to Jerusalem. So he's not in Jerusalem where the city has been destroyed. The city walls have been destroyed. He's not there yet. He's in the court of the king in Babylon, in the very court of the king who destroyed the city of Jerusalem. That's where he is, and I think that's important to note. And what do we know about him? Well, Liz preached last week on chapter 1, and we know that Nehemiah is the cup-bearer 
Uh, and for those of you that don't know what a cupbearer is because you don't have one, um, this, meant <laughs> this meant that he would taste whatever the king was drinking to ensure that it wasn't poison, normally his wine. Um, and he was a servant of the king. So if you're going to taste what the king is about to taste, where are you? You are right next to the king. You are in the very epicenter of the power and the structure of the time that destroyed your city, your people's city. We read this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. I have practiced that one quite a lot, actually. And now we know up to this point that Nehemiah has been praying and fasting since he heard about the city walls, uh, which works out at four months. How did you do that maths, I ask you? I hear you ask, Sophie. Uh, well, in chapter one, it says, in the month of Kislev, which is usually the autumn month, uh, which would be November, December. Then this chapter begins in the month of Nisan, which was the spring months. Four months. Easy maths, right? <laughs> and in that, thank you. In that first chapter, we read that Nehemiah sits and weeps. He weeps for the walls of Jerusalem that lay in ruins. And he prays and he fasts. You see, prayer and grief, they can't be rushed. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was bought for him, see wine, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why did your face look so sad when you're not ill? Um, just a side note, it's okay to look sad if you're ill. Don't, don't be too British about it and pretend you're okay. <laughs> this can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are Buried lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king notices Nehemiah's broken heart. And in this moment, Nehemiah has a lot to lose. Okay, He is the cupbearer to the king. That is a job with a lot of status. He is not one of the king's people, but he works for the king. He is right there in that powerhouse. He could lose his job. He could lose his status. And he could even lose his life in this moment. And do you know why? Because servants were never meant to show their emotion to royalty. They were never meant to show their emotion to the king. He didn't want to deal with their emotions. But Nehemiah goes in. And what's the first thing that king notices? Why are you so sad? Why does your face look so sad? It's pretty obvious. Sometimes you're sad and it's not as obvious unless someone's a bit intuitive. But this is not intuition. This is just he's wearing it all over his face. My friends at Vicar School used to have a saying, watch your face. Because sometimes when someone says something, your face gives you away. This is a moment where his face is giving him away. It's not the correct etiquette for the servants to show their emotions. So this is a huge thing for Nehemiah. He could have been cast out at this point. Private feelings were meant to be kept to themselves, and I don't know if you relate to that at all. I certainly do, that there are moments where you feel this is not the time and not the place for you to show your emotions because it's not proper. At work, dare I say it, at church. 
sometimes, and I think particularly in the last 18 months, with friends who are also struggling. I think for us that's been one of the hardest things, is that when we've been struggling as a family, you go to tell your closest people, and they're also struggling, and you don't know where to, where to process this. You don't know where it goes, because everybody's had their thing in the last 18 months. So Nehemiah is taking a huge risk on that alone. He's showing his feelings in front of the king and he could be instantly thrown out of the court, lose his status, lose his job, lose the ability to then say what he's going to say. So he's already risked everything, but then how does he respond? Does your whole self ache for the renewal of God's church, of his people, Does it ache to see people restored by God? So much so that others notice. Do they see your compassion for the church? Do they see your compassion for others? Does it actually spill out in your life? And here's the second risk. If you look back at Ezra, which we aren't studying, but it's really important. So can I encourage you, as a bit of homework, to go and read Ezra as well as we work through Nehemiah because it informs so much of what we read in Nehemiah. And in Ezra for it says this. It says that the king, the same king, King Artaxerxes, that we read about in Nehemiah, decrees this. Now issue an order to these men to stop work so that this city, the city of Jerusalem, will not be rebuilt until I so order. Be careful not to neglect this matter. Why let this threat grow to the detriment of the royal interests? Nehemiah has a lot to lose. His position and his desire to rebuild Jerusalem is in direct opposition to what the king has previously already decreed. He goes into that space knowing that what he's about to say is the opposite of the orders of the king. So I wonder why Nehemiah looked so sad and was afraid. You can really understand it, can't you, when you realize what he has to lose. He's probably terrified. This is his moment, and we can only assume that he knew it was coming, that he knew that his time would be now. Because in the last verse of the previous chapter that Liz preached on last week, it says this in Nehemiah's prayer, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. That is Nehemiah's prayer. He knows he's going into the court of the king and he knows that's his moment. He knows that's his chance to change the course of history, to change the rebuilding of the walls or the the anti-rebuilding of the walls of his people in the city of Jerusalem. He knows this is his moment. And the king's response throws me every time I read it especially when you know that Nehemiah is risking so much, he says, what is it you want? Have you ever had anybody, when you've shown some emotion, just ask you, what, what do you want? What do you need? Some people have that gift, don't they? Just to pierce right to the very question that you needed to hear. And kudos to the king, because he does just that. And what happens next is that we see the plans of Nehemiah that he has made with God as he's wept and he's mourned and he's spent time in his presence praying and fasting. We see those plans 
come to fruit in almost, it's just so quick. He says, I prayed to the Lord and I gave my answer. Now, we were in a staff meeting the other day talking about this passage, and uh, someone said, um, oh, I'd love to be able to pray like that. We just pray, and then God gives you exactly what you need to say, and you just, n- I mean, this is a lot of detail that he gives as a response as well. It's not just like, I feel like God is saying, it's like, I want this, and I want the timber, and I want the letters. He knows exactly. And then we came to the conclusion that that is purely because he has spent so much time in God's presence that he knows his voice. Are we spending time in God's presence in such a way that we recognize his voice? Now, it's challenging because life is hectic, right? Life is busy, and sometimes it's not so easy to just spend time in God's presence. But can I challenge you to figure out ways in which you can do that? Because that will fuel your life in a way you never knew. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. How many of us approach a risky situation in our lives in the same way? And the risk might not be obvious in the way that it is here with Nehemiah, but when you're having going to have a conversation that you think is difficult and you get that feeling, you just can't quite do it. it it's a feeling and you might not actually be able to articulate what that feeling is, but likely it's fear. Fear of what? When you're in that moment, fear of what? What is it that you fear? Is it your status? Is it the relationship? Is it your position at work? Is it upsetting someone else? Or are we saying to the God of heaven, show me what the answer is in this moment? The last four months is surely Nehemiah sitting in the presence of God, weeping, mourning, being given a vision and a plan. But crucially, I think, it's Nehemiah weighing up the cost of following God in this moment, of following the vision that God has given him. And for us, this moment in time, we have to weigh up the cost of following Jesus. It's risky. It's countercultural in so many ways. There are big questions that we want to answer right now questions of faith, questions of what's going to come, questions of the future, and it weighs heavily on us. It's overbearing, it's overpowering, and sometimes it seems impossible, much like standing in the court of the king. as a servant who's not meant to show anything other than a glass of wine that is safe to drink and actually speaking from his heart. He cannot have imagined how well this would go. He may have trusted God, but did he know it would be that easy? The king sent a cavalry with him to go and do this. I just, I almost can't get my head around it. How can we in this time, in this place, with the resources that we have, see our church and those around us rebuilt, restored, redeemed in even greater ways than we've ever experienced before?
by spending time in the presence of our King. Father, Son and Spirit, by being honest about where we're at right now, there's nothing wrong with how you feel, but how are we going to respond using that to move forward, to step forward, to, to persevere? And for some of us, we're having a great time at the moment. There's space for all of that in God's kingdom, in Jesus' loving arms. As I prepared, I, I felt that for some of us here, we felt like we had nothing left to give. But I have nothing left to give out. It's been a time of giving out even when we didn't really have it left and so some of us might be slightly burnt out from that. But there is a cost to following Jesus and the cost is in saying yes. Say yes to Jesus and he will show you what it is you can do with what you have. There is room for everyone in God's kingdom. It says in Luke chapter 14, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I don't know what your cross is. I don't need to know. But you need to take that honestly to God and say, this is hard right now, but I'm going to choose to follow you anyway. Nehemiah is sitting in the court of the king and he could lose everything. And look what it changes. We'll hear more about that in coming weeks. Are we willing to lay it all on the line for Jesus? Because I believe that this is one of those moments where we need to rise up, to step up, to live all out for Jesus. Our world aches for restoration, for rebuilding. Our world aches for Jesus. You can see it in the news. You can see it in your friends' eyes when they don't know what to do. There isn't an answer, and we have had an answer this whole time, Jesus. And it doesn't negate what's going on. That still goes on. But in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world, Jesus says. If we're honest with our feelings, if we spend time in God's presence, and if we trust that God is good and God is faithful, then we will learn what God's heart is for this place and this time and we will see our church thrive and we will see God's church, his people that make up his church thrive because God will build his church. When we follow Jesus, when we tell other people about Jesus, God will build his church. Paul writes in Philippians, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want to be found in Christ. Whatever is happening, whatever plans I have or have not made, I want to be found in Christ. And I want to be able to ask the God of heaven and give an answer. I want to know his voice. So let's do the work of Nehemiah. Let's not rush. He doesn't rush. It's so easy to read this passage and think, wow, how quick his prayers are. But he hasn't rushed. He has let his emotion out. He has shared his weeping and his mourning with God. And he has learned God's voice. 
And let's consider the cost for us of what it means to follow Jesus today. Are we all in for Jesus? And let's pray that risky prayer. God, what do you want me to do? And even if you feel that you don't have anything left to give, let's ask that. Let's ask that of God. Because God has everything to give. Amen.